Well, this is the final installment of our Family Devotions series where we have looked at the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 2, uh, the same verses every week to talk about the kind of things that every church, not just the early church, but every church should be devoted to, including this one. And as we have looked at those devotions, these are the things, as we think about that word devotion, I want you to just kind of, re I want to reiterate, these are the things we will not back away from, no matter how we feel about them, no matter what's on our calendar, uh, no matter what other things pop up, no matter uh, if we wake up tired and sleepy, we're going to be devoted to these four, now five things. And, and the thing that we're going to talk about today really isn't one of the devotions, candidly, that they talk about in Acts 2, but it's all over the place. It's all over the place in Acts, and so I wanna, I'll, I'll end with those all over the places. But I want you to just see this, that this grid that we've been giving you um, has been not just, but also. And so as we think about the things that the early church and every church should be devoted to, what we also want you to see is that these things um, are kind of translated into our space with this way. So when the Bible says that um, the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, we say, yes, it means all of Scripture, but it also means a, a gospel-centered teaching. That the gospel, that Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return would be the very thing that they were so obsessed over. It was the very thing that would change lives. It was the very thing that they were devoted to. So it's yes to all of Scripture, but also gospel centrality. When the Bible talks about that they were not only devote, devoted to the apostles' teaching, but also to the fellowship, it's not just getting along, but it's also a committed partnership to one another's ultimate spiritual good. To be committed to one another's spiritual good means you can't just sit back and enjoy. It means you've got to engage in some ways that you wouldn't do if you were just there to enjoy one another. When they're devoted to the breaking of the bread, it's not just a corporate remembrance in the Lord's Supper, but it is also doing all things of life in remembrance of him, because that's what Jesus said to do. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Yes, the Lord's Supper, but a remembrance of Jesus in all of life. So we live for him. We worship him. We follow him. That's why we say in this church, inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life. Not a pastor, not a group of elders, not a neighborhood group leader, a growth group leader, or anyone else. We all follow Jesus. And then it says that they were devoted to prayers. It's not just a corporate or personal prayer life. No, that's what we talked about last week. And it was also a dependent, a God-dependent life in all of life, that we would be people that would depend on him. And so today, when we talk about we are also devoted to missional living, you might go, okay, well, where is that in the scripture? Well, if you looked at the book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 41, just above where you are and what we've read, what you would find is that Peter reads, uh, Peter uh, preaches to the early church for the first time, and there's a statement there of multiplication. There's a statement there that they were on mission. There's a statement there that they did these things not so they could appreciate how good Peter's preaching was, but that they would go and do something about it, and that the Lord would do something in response to the preaching of God's word. And what was it? If you saw it in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, I'm not even there, so you have a moment. Verse 41, it says this. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You go on to 47. And again, this is something we have been reading, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Something was going on behind the scenes, not just the preaching of God's word, not just the enjoyment of one another, but the kind of living that you can only describe as missional. 
And so when we think about a missional living, a, a, a desire to live missionally, we're not just talking about going overseas, right, to India or El Salvador or wherever it may be. It means also going across the street. So I'll tell you, um, I was telling our, our neighbor group leaders this last night, like, I don't know about you, um, but my first, one of my first mission trips as part of the Grove was across the street to my old cul-de-sac. And I went over across the street to my old neighbors and I just said, hey, I've lived across the street from you for the last six years and I don't know your name. And I'm sorry. My name is Lance. I'm a pastor. This is my newborn baby son, Moses. By the way, if you ever want a, uh, an opportunity to be missional, just bring your dog or your baby outside. And so she looked at me and she goes, yeah, I know who you are. And I was like, oh, crud. She already knows I'm a pastor and I've ignored her for six years. And I went over to her and I just said, hey, I just want you to know, I'm sorry for not knowing your name. I've been so busy, like, doing church, I've not been available enough to be the church. I've been so busy leading Bible studies, leading mission trips, preaching on occasion. I've been so busy just, just managing an organization that I forgot my primary call was to love my neighbor. And it started with going across the street and going, I'm sorry that I don't know your name. Come to find out, her name's Kathy. And we got along great. And we had total different views on politics, Jesus, all the hot topics that you would find on social media that you unfriended somebody over. We didn't agree on any of that. And yet we had great conversations every time we were out. I was out in the front yard and she was in the front yard. Just centered around this idea of missional living. So I'll define that in just a moment, but before I get there, I want you to see yourself in that story. I want you, I want you to see uh, someone who, who's standing before you as a pastor, who would have stood before you for six years before that as a pastor, and, and, and been able to say, like, I'm trying to model out the Christian life, and yet the thing that I ignored or certainly didn't prioritize was making disciples. And I want you to see yourself in that story, but I also want you to see yourself in the story of resurrection. The story of resurrection is found in John 20, right? When Jesus shows up, he has died, he has been buried, he shows up in John chapter 20, his disciples are afraid, and he shows up to them in verse 21, and these are the words that he says to his disciples. Peace be with you. Now you think, oh man, I feel so good about that, Jesus, thank you for giving me peace. And he doesn't leave you though in that little peace. He says, peace be with you, a.k.a. I know you're afraid. I know you're scared. I know you're anxious. I know you're afraid of what they might do to you if you leave this room. But peace be with you, a.k.a. I am the Prince of Peace, and I am with you. And because I'm with you, I'm going to tell you to do something. And what does he say? As the Father has sent me from heaven to earth to go and seek and save the lost, to die for my enemies, to chase after the one that would run the furthest and the fastest, as the Father has sent me out of the comforts and the confines of heaven, off of the throne of wherever I was before at the right hand of my Father. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you, boys and ladies. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So I want to ask you, do you see yourself in that room? you got to see yourself in that room. If you don't see yourself in that room, you're going to opt out. 
You've got to see yourself, uh, you know, doubting like Thomas is known to do. He wasn't even there, by the way, when Jesus said this. So, so you neighborhood group leaders, you growth group leaders, and you're trying to get 100% attendance before you have that really good conversation. Jesus didn't have 100% attendance with the 11 that were left. Just go for it. The Lord is with you. Peace be with you. Run ahead. Do your thing. Share the gospel. Charge your people as we are today. Thomas wasn't even there. Uh, if, you, if you get a profile of everybody there, Peter had already pledged his allegiance to Jesus only to deny him days earlier. Jesus hadn't sat down with him over breakfast tacos yet and brought him back. He hadn't. Instead, he's up in this room, and he's afraid, just like everybody else. If you remember the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder, James and John, only just a little bit before this had they been so angry at people's rejection of Jesus that they asked Jesus to call down fire from heaven. This is about the time that their mom approached Jesus and said, hey, would you give your left hand and your right hand to my sons, my baby boys? The sons of thunder were afraid to approach Jesus on that one, and I would have been too probably. Could you imagine what the other disciples are thinking in that moment? Like, really, guys, you got your mom to ask for the seats of honor? Come on. These are the guys that are with Jesus. Can you see yourself in here? Judas thought he was a certain type of Messiah, a military Messiah, and he was disappointed. And so he would do whatever necessary to take down Jesus because he wasn't who he thought he should be. And I wonder what kind of Messiah you think Jesus should be. I wonder how you have informed your life around the things that you would prefer about Jesus. The spirit of Judas is a little bit more alive and well in us than we might want to admit or imagine. Everyone else except for John at Jesus' worst time was, was gone. You, you can't even remember their name even though they're in the Bible. Because they're just, they're not there. That's all of us. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you've been as far as this missional living thing. But this is the core, one of the, one of the, one of the absolute core identities of our church. The things that we are devoted to as a church. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I think for those of us that are new for the last year and a half or two years, haven't heard enough of being mission-oriented. You've heard a lot about masks and mandates and chairs and socially distanced and everybody just get along and y'all be okay. Who cares how you voted? It's not that important. It's going to be okay. Somebody just went right now and went, oh, how dare you? It's not the primary thing. But I'm going to say this, like we're turning the page back to we're on mission. God's call for every disciple, for you, friend, God's call for every disciple is to make disciples. Not one of us can opt out. We all got to find ourselves in that upper room afraid, anxious, doubting, wondering. We all got to find ourselves in that room because if we don't find ourselves there, again, we will opt out. In the midst of fear, in the midst of not feeling ready, in the midst of grief and disappointment and church hurt and wounds and fear of, of, of whatever else and simply not wanting to be rejected by your neighbors, Jesus appears and he has two messages for them and he has the same two messages for you. The God of peace is with you and you have a God-ordained assignment and that is to make disciples. Make disciples. I remember when we were first starting this church, and I think it was somewhere around December. We started in November. I think it was somewhere in December where we had kind of started to gather maybe, you know, I don't know, 30 or so adults. And I thought, okay, we're gonna, this is like the great purge of December right here because I'm going to preach this message and everybody's going to leave. And the opposite happened. 
because of God's spirit working in them, you're here. But I said this that night, and I'll say it again to you. This is my first point. I only have two, and then I'm going to invite somebody else up to, to chat a little bit. The first point is this. You are a missionary. Have you thought of yourself as a missionary? If you're new to this church, this is maybe the first time you've heard this. You are a missionary. If you're not new to this church, welcome uh, to the, the, the baseline of what we're all about. You are a missionary. You might think to yourself, well, I don't know about that. I mean, after all, did God really, I mean, want me to be a missionary? I mean, he, know, he knows my life. My life is all kinds of messed up. Yeah, yeah. Just like those people up in the upper room. Totally imperfect, totally not ready, and he still sends them just like he's sending us today. So let me get back to the basics. Um, if you've got a Bible, and if you don't, it'll come up, at least for another week or two. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. You're a missionary. You're a missionary. I want to start here, and then I want to go to Acts 1-8 when we talk about being a missionary. Now look, this is what the Bible says. If you find yourself doubting, if you find yourself wondering, if you find yourself um, thinking like God's made a mistake here by calling me into his kingdom, by giving me a seat at his table, I want you to find yourself at the top of the mountain right now in Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. Now listen, verse 17. And when they saw him, okay, they weren't hearing rumors of his resurrection. This is Jesus. This is resurrected Jesus. And when they saw him, they worshiped. Well, some of y'all doubted. After you saw him, some of us doubted. And Jesus took up a stone and he stoned them. Not there, right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He knew they were doubting. He knew that some were worshiping. And the same message is here for those that worship fully and have a whole lot of doubt. All authority in heaven has been given to me. Jesus, a.k.a. what I'm about to say, matters. Verse 19, because this is the Great Commission, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you look at this theme from John 20 and now Matthew 28, there is a declaration of peace, a declaration of authority. There's a declaration of his presence here. Look, even in the midst of some crazy demand and command, not just go out, and be sent, but a little bit more specific, go and make disciples. Go and baptize disciples. Go and teach disciples. Now you got to ask yourself, why did he include baptism? Like what's going on here? That seems a little odd to me that he would include baptism. Like making disciples and teaching them, I get. But why baptizing? Because after all, that's the one that we probably keep a little bit more optional than all the rest. Why baptizing? Why is that the thing? Out of the three things that he says, make, baptize, and teach them, why is baptize there? And I'll tell you why. What I believe to be why. He is giving you a new identity. And he doesn't want you to obey him because you think you should. He wants you to obey him after he's baptized you, after you've been immersed in a new identity of being a Christ follower, of Father, Son, and Spirit. 
in many ways very similarly to a young bride just takes the name of her new husband. So is God at baptism saying, don't take your name anymore. Instead, adopt my name, be immersed in a new identity. Go by this new last name of Jesus' follower. One who's baptized in the name of the Father and therefore we're his family. If you are baptized, if you are a Christian, and I'll tell you this, side note, if you're not baptized, you're never going to make disciples. Do you know why? It's not because it's a formula. It's because we have counted this as optional. And if we count one part as optional, we're going to count all of it as optional. And the Christian life is to follow Jesus in increasing measure and get rid of disobedience in our hearts. Get rid of the things, that, of excuses and everything else to get rid of those things so that God's holiness, God's magnification in our lives makes, uh, is more of a priority today than it was yesterday. That's observing all that I've commanded in increasing measure. So as we get back into this, right, we're, we're baptized in the name of the Father. We're baptized and we're his family. We're baptized in the name of the Son and therefore we're his servant because he came to seek and serve us. We're baptized in the name of the Spirit because after all, Jesus sent his Spirit to indwell us as our advocate. To indwell us as, as empowered missionaries. And you might think to yourself, okay, where did you get that, man? Well, if you could just go over to Acts 1, don't flip there, it's going to come up. You go over to Acts 1. This is a very familiar passage to those that helped start this church. But you will receive power. This is Jesus. He's about to ascend into heaven. Again, he's resurrected. And he's, you, do you see a theme of his resurrection messages? You are a sent people. I want you to go and make. I want you to go mature. I want you to go multiply disciples. And now again, he says this in Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Start in your city and be my witnesses. That word there is martyr. Be the one that will go and die for me. Be the one that will, what does a witness do? They have seen something, they've experienced something. Y'all know that some people in this room went to A&M, the AM game last night. Y'all know that, right? You know how you know? Because they were excited to share. They were excited to share what they saw and what they heard and what they'd experienced. How excited are you to share about your experience with Jesus? Same excitement, same fervor, same desire. You see, they're ready to die on the gospel of AM. I would be. After last night, I went to AM, I got my ring on today. Don't even, I had an AM shirt, but it's a little snug, okay? <laughs> I've gained a little weight, okay? I didn't want to give you all that. Don't judge me for getting fat. But I'm ready to die on that, right? We got some people in here right now. I never wear A&M stuff, but today is the day. Yeah. Are we as excited about the gospel of Jesus as we are about Aggies about the gospel of A&M? Are we, at the, are we that excited today? Because I, I think some of us are like, yeah, all right, missionary again. Here we go. Okay, you heard it before. How many disciples you made since the last time you heard it? How many times have you witnessed to your neighborhoods and the networks and the nations and you've died to yourself, oh dear martyr of Jesus, so that someone else can live? See, that's, that's the idea here. This isn't just about obedience. This is about changing people's eternity, truly. And you might think to yourself, okay, well, I don't know, man. But before, I'm going to have somebody else come up here and tell you and share with you their experience in just a moment. 
before we get there, I want to just, just tell you about three things, right, that Jesus is calling us to do. Make, mature, multiply. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. We've summarized it as make, mature, multiply. God is calling you to make disciples. That does not mean, that does not, so when we think about missional living, you might want to write this down because um, I, I didn't put this on the screen. I should have. Missional living is this. It is doing ordinary life with disciple-making intentionality. It is not adding things to your calendar. It is changing the way you do your calendar. It's all of your calendar. It's not a one-time event. It's every event. So when you go to the grocery store like you've got to do today at HEB, and I'll see you there. When you go to the grocery store, you're there as a missionary. Your eyes are open. What's here? I went, to a, I went to a birthday party last Sunday afternoon, and my eyes were not open as a missionary until something happened. Little Moses was uh, in this four-player game, like shooting aliens and stuff, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I like it, so let's get in this thing. So Moses is in there, and there's, only, there's, like, there's, a, there's a dad and his young daughter's right here, and Moses is right here, and I'm just kind of peeked in. And I have a video card that the hosts of the birthday party had given out to everybody. And I saw this dad and his young daughter, and he, they were just watching. And I looked at him, and I go, hey, man, would you like to play? I'll just swipe right here. Would you want to play? You want your little daughter to want to shoot some aliens? And he looked at me, and he goes, oh, no, she's too young. And I said, well, will you, yeah, but I mean, like, your daughter wants to shoot aliens. I mean you. You want to shoot some aliens? Oh, no, we're, we're just here. And he looked at me, and he goes, what's your name? Whoa, you're engaging in conversation? And I was like, well, my name is Lance. What's your name? Aladdin. Get out of town. <laughs> what? Aladdin? <laughs> now, he had an accent. And I said, Aladdin, where are you from? He said, Pakistan. I said, Aladdin, how long have you been here? Two, since 2004. I said, bro, I'm so glad that you're here. And then something happened, and then I disappeared. And there was no gospel presentation. But I thought about it this week. And this is gospel intentionality. This is mission, making disciples intentionality. I, I don't know if I'll ever meet Aladdin again from Pakistan. But I've been praying for him like crazy this week. Lord, you gave me just an opportunity to share a little bit of hospitality with a little card for alien shooting. Lord, let that be something in this man's life, if he's not a believer, that you would draw him in. You see, making disciples isn't inviting your friends to church. It's going to those places with the gospel in your heart to be able to, if you can't share the gospel, you pray for them. You dedicate your life around a guy from, uh, from Pakistan, from 2004, named Aladdin. It's not just inviting people to church. It's not just inviting a neighborhood group. No, it is instead going as an empowered missionary. That's what it said. You will receive power. When you go, you do this and we send you all the time to neighborhoods, networks, to the nations. Your neighborhoods will have block parties this week or this month. You can go and serve on your HOA. You can go uh, have conversations with your neighbors that are start off as shallow and then they get significant and then they move to spiritual over time. You go to your networks, the softball field, the baseball field, the football field, to work, to the, to, the, to the CrossFit box. And you go with making, discipling, like that's what you do, with some sort of intentionality towards the gospel. You go to the nations like El Salvador and India and Houston welcomes refugees and to, to, to the Andretti place where there's a guy named Aladdin. 
And you do so to make disciples. And once they're believers, or perhaps on the way of becoming believers, you invite them to read the Bible with you. You invite them into some sort of prayer mechanism where you call them and tell them that you're praying for them. And you invite them to follow Jesus in all of life. You, you invite them. You teach them. That's what Jesus said to do. Don't just get them in a room. Teach them to obey him. That means you have to show them where they're wrong. Because they think they're right. That means you have to model out where you've been wrong. So that they can see what repentance and faith looks like. And then we multiply, make, mature, multiply. And I want you to just, I want to just read the scriptures and I'm going to invite my friend up. I want you to see these summary statements in the book of Acts. Because I want you to see this and I want it to be clear. These are the summary, this is the, the early church exploding on the scene. And look at the kind of things that God is summarizing for them. Acts 2.47, we already read this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Catch the theme, y'all. These are summary statements. Acts 9, verse 31. I love hearing those pages turn, y'all. Bring it on. Now I'm slowing down. Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And what did they do with that peace and their building up of the church? And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 12, 24. This is all in Acts. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Acts 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. These are summary statements to kind of get us all back on mission. So I would ask, what is the summary statement of this church? Seven years in, and the Grove Church rearrange their lives for their kids' hobbies. Giggle, giggle. Ouch. And the Grove Church came together for another Bible study and left out their lost friends to learn some more. And the Grove Church took up their cross daily, followed him, Followed Jesus and invited others to do the same. I wonder what is our summary statement. Now for those of us that think, I need to see this. I need to understand what this looks like. I see and I hear us talking about living missionally, but what does this look like? I want to invite Tim Wetzel to come up on the stage. Look, our kids are not in here for the most part. We're not doing communion, so we've got about 10-ish minutes. I just want us to see what this looks like so that we can have a better understanding of what's at stake. Thank you, brother. Tim Wetzel. Everybody know Tim Wetzel? Everybody give him a little hand clap for coming up. This man was at the A&M game last night, and he's here this morning. Praise be to God. Um, all right, so, Tim, I know your story, but many people here don't. Um, and I think it's a great example of what missional living looks like. So um, before, was it 2015, 2016? 
Okay, in that area, what, how would you describe your life? Tell us about your life a little bit. It was dark, man. Um, just kind of jump right into it. I was in a very dark place. Um, just a lot of self-seeking, a lot of uh, just trying to find my own way in a, in a sense that was not biblical, uh, something that would please myself best in whatever capacity that looked like. A lot of um, just going to bars, going to a lot of dark places, just trying to, I don't know, find purpose. I, I had none. I was searching certainly after something that um, this world could not fill, but I was going to try the hardest to find it in whatever capacity that looked like. And then on your birthday in 2016, you went to a restaurant where you share space with people, which kind of seems really weird these days. Um, and it was Shogun, right? And what? so what happened on your birthday that day? Yeah, so 2016, at the, right? Yes. Five years ago. Uh, 2015. 2015? 2015. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so at that time, I was um, just recently separated from my ex-wife uh, on my birthday, and I was just in the pits, uh, hanging out with my family, and they were like, let's go out, let's, let's go get something, let's not make this day just a remembrance of this awful memory and then go to bed. Instead, they were like, well, let's go do a birthday dinner. Um, and at that time, we, we went to Shogun, it was great, I really like hibachi, <laughs> and there I had met Nicole and Angela, and they just kind of went right into it. They, they didn't beat around the block. They did introductions. They were like, how are you? What do you do? All of these questions. And then not long into that, they were like, hey, like, where do you go to church? Where are you plugged in? Who are you with? What does that look like for you? And I was shocked because I was like, none of those things. I don't go to church. I don't really hang out with a community in any capacity. And she was like, why don't you come to a neighborhood group? Like, just be a part of this community, not looking for anything, just being faithful, just being a disciple and trusting that in the difficulty, in the embarrassment, there's an invite that needs to be, be sent out, and she did. So you were at the corner, on the corner, like part of the corner of the table, as, yep, I, yep. as I'm imagining this story happening. And um, you're sitting there, and you're down in the dumps, understandably. Your, your ex-wife at that point had just separated from you, or you separated. I don't know how that all went. But nonetheless, you're there. Um, someone's engaging you uh, with some gospel intentionality, and you share a little bit about your story, and she goes, like, your life's a mess. You need to come and hang out with our neighbors. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's right. Basically, that's what she, yeah. All right, good. Um, so um, you came to Neighborhood Group. Yes. Like the next day. Yes, immediately. Yeah. And that was my Neighborhood Group. In my living room. Yep. And um, what was that experience like for you? Great. Great? No mistakes. It nope. was just perfect. Yeah. No, uh, so years later, for sure, and I, I think about this often, is it was marked by two huge events. And I even wrote it in my notes as Mel versus Kelly and Lance in the parable. Um, so the first part is just what I viewed real relationship as. It probably sounds worse than it is. So we, there, was, there was a conversation about childcare and there was a huge disagreement. And this was my first time and I was like, is this how we're getting down? They were just like, we should do it this way. No, we're gonna do it this way. And it was back and forth. And I loved at the end of that, despite it being a little chaotic, that they could love each other at the end of that and not just leave it with, we're gonna have a disagreement I guess we just can't hang out anymore. Like, they disagreed with each other, 
and we're still a body at the end of that. And then the second part was me and Lance were sitting at the island in his kitchen and he had heard some of my story and we, we, we talked a little bit throughout the day and it ultimately it ended with um, him just saying some really hard truths, going through the parable of the sower and um, asking me where I identified as, as he's just walking through scripture with me. It's like, which, which one of these would you kind of align yourself with? And I was like, all of them except for the last one. Um, it, it was very clear to me that I could see certain parts of my life being choked out, um, just being lost, being thrown into the rocks, and there's no fruit. Um, while there was fruit, uh, it's just it was dark and it was dirty and it was grimy and certainly not, not something that I would ever want to look at and be like, yeah, this is the path I'm going to continue down. Like in all of my years, I'm certainly not thinking. This is great. This is right where I want to go. This is what I've had. This is what I've had in store for myself when I'm trying to build this legacy. When I'm trying to build this story for myself, and he's like, "This is not a path that would follow after Jesus." And he asked really hard questions during that time. So um, that was an early neighborhood group experience. Number one, it was messy, right? It was yeah. there were people, Christians, and they're fighting over childcare. And if there's anything that brings the kingdom more. It's fighting over childcare. Yeah. Um, and so we were, we were on mission that night, people. Oh, man, we were good. Um, telling you that because I need, I need you to hear there's no perfect process, and you don't know what God's using to draw people in. That was, the, that was one of the things, as you said, like that was one of the things like they disagreed, and they had a commitment to each other that was deeper than just like how to figure out childcare, and they still loved each other. And they remained. And then, of course, it was the continuing hard conversations. After that, you would, I, so my office was at Starbucks during that time. Um, and so I, if you don't know this, like literally went to the Starbucks barista one day and said, hey, um, my name is Lance, and um, I'm going to start a church out of this Starbucks. And Lumetta Farms is the only one around back then. I said, my name is Lance. I'm going to start a church out of this Starbucks. That makes me and you coworkers. What's your name? And she goes, my name is Callie. What do you want? And I was like, I'll take a tall coffee, thank you. <laughs> but nonetheless, I would office out of there like a lot of days. And, um, and every once in a while, this stranger that I uh, had a crazy encounter with in our neighborhood group would show up. It was Tim. And he didn't go to Starbucks. But he would like drive, what was your, what, like you just drove by to see what was going on if my car was there. You'd drop in, we'd have hard conversations. Tell a little bit about that time. Yeah, so I think... Certainly, the, the kind of thought looking back at that is I was just longing to be a part of something, and Starbucks was not my jam. I did not like, still don't really like Starbucks. Sorry, Starbucks people. It's just. Are there Starbucks people? Do we need to apologize to them? We've got to apologize to everybody these days. All right, keep going. Maybe they don't need to be apologized. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it was just, I was just driving by. I, I don't know what happened. I mean, now it's very easy to see what happened, but at the time I was like, I'll just go to Starbucks. I'll get one of these super sugary drinks and just kind of sit in there and hang out. And I was like, oh, I know a guy in here. Let me go over. Let me hang out. And it was just a continuation of the conversation that we had at that table. We see in Acts, we talk about the breaking of bread. That continues without bread, right? It's, it's in any environment, anywhere you're going to go. And I happen to have seen them here. And it's clear that the Lord was drawing me into this. And this was on replay over and over after this. But Hard conversations would happen. I would be slightly offended and then be like, man, I really need to hear this because 
it was completely counterculture. It was completely different to anything that I had heard and was ultimately just, despite hard things being said, people loving me and caring for something that wasn't themselves, right? They weren't bringing me to like, come to my business, come to, come to my little startup or just do this. Like, no, we see a void here. We see sadness. We see darkness that was just draped all over me at this time. You need something, and it's not, it's not an item I can give you. Like, you need Jesus, and we're going to love you enough to say that it would be, it would be anti-biblical if I were to abandon you in that season of hurt, which I clearly see all over you. Mm -hmm. So this is July when this starts. We're going all the way around the calendar now to Good Friday, and you come to Starbucks, um, and I'm preparing our Good Friday message, and I go, hey, man, like, I don't know how the conversation started, but I was like, hey, man, I was talking about Pilate, and you were like, Pilate? Who's Pilate? And I was like, you know about Pilate? Man, you need to come on Good Friday, and you need to hear all about Pilate and, like, his role in all this, because I think it'd be encouragement to you. And he was like, uh, whatever, okay. Um, and so, but you showed up on Good Friday, and you sat, you stood, actually, you never came in, you stood in the back uh, with your sleeveless hoodie on, um, as if to say, I'm here, but I don't want to be here. That's right. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Um, and, and man, something, something happened, right? Yeah, I, I had not heard the story before then. Um, didn't know who that was. I was like, all right, there's a pilot. He's in the sky, I'm sure. And um, <laughs> more broad than I thought. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I didn't know the story. I, I didn't know much of the story of the Bible. I just heard little bits that Lance had really talked to me, and some that I remembered from childhood. Um, but man, the story just hit me of kind of his, his passive stance and his ability to see Jesus there and see what's going on and just kind of like bow out of that. And I, man, I just, I just melted. Right? I just saw that and was able to identify to so many different pieces. And then ultimately the stance was, I am deprived I am missing out on a lot, but ultimately I'm like, I can feel like I should be a part of this. And I am so sad for not being a part of this for so long that I feel like I have no choice except for to give this a real look and to earnestly dig into something that I was too afraid of for so long, for judgment, for... Um, afraid to be authentic. I've been around a lot of Christians growing up and it was nothing like what I've seen here. There was just, we're going to do this on Sunday. Maybe we'll even do it on Wednesday if we're really cool. And then we're just going to go ahead and leave that there, right? I still own the rest of my days. These are very specific days. Give me a little Jesus time and then I'm going to move on with the rest of my life. That was not present in this place. And I got to see it over and over there was a piece that was skipped um, after Starbucks of, I didn't just like, there, there was no switch that immediately happened. I continued to run away and they would not let me. And this was just pursuant of God over my life and saying like, hey, you are going to be pulled in. If I can, if, if I'm going to pull you in, you cannot do anything else. People would be faithful and um, they would just send me text messages. We, we were just going through at the end through Matthew 28, and what just kind of hit me um, was talking about going and making disciples. At the end, it says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that we saw in Acts to the end of the earth. 
anytime, anyplace, right? It's not just that you are going to make disciples on your own. It's like, he says, I am with you. There is not. It's very easy to look at having these conversations with people as just like a one-off. It's, it's hard to do. I'm going to embarrass myself. It's not really worth it. There are many people's lives that have changed. I'm very grateful for, not because of anything that I've done, but that these people have done, and I got to be a part of that. The Lord did it, brother. Yeah. Yeah. And just the faithful and the difficult, just putting away your preservation, the difficult conversations for the regeneration of a community. So that girl at Shogun is who? Yeah, so that girl at Shogun is Nicole. That's my wife. But at the time, it was... Yeah, we can pray, hey. Single missionary, you never know what's going to happen. All right, keep going. Well, at the time, it was just a friend. (laughs) That's right. right. Because all that was is she was just being (laughs) a friend to somebody who was lost. Right? It's It's not about anything else other than making disciples of a really dark community. It's very easy to just be like, I hope they show up at church, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that stuff there. I was a non-believer. We were not going to church. We were found many other places, right? You can find them at a playground. You can find them at work. They are everywhere, and they are hurting because mm-hmm. I was hurting. And just a question was so impactful. Because people are afraid to ask it. I was afraid to ask it. I remember sitting at Starbucks with Nicole to, to tell you that it was just a friendship in that way. Like, she was saying hard things to you, too. She had no motive other than to see you come to Jesus. Um, and that was really fun to watch and, and do that with you. Um, and just see how the Lord was going to move in your heart. And it's been fun to see and, and watch you grow as well. So tell us a little about, like, your life since Good Friday of sixteen. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a lot of just stumbling and continuing to walk forward with that yoke, right? And there's, there's, no, um, there's no moment that is going to happen and you just be like, I'm going to have it all fixed. There's this clear path forward. The road is so apparent, right? The words are so evident. It's not so easy. It's, we go in seasons in and out of being faithful and being just honest with ourselves and maybe just having decent self-awareness. But there's a lot where difficult seasons will come, um, mourning will come, depression and death, lots of things that the world continues to throw at us, right? It's not if trials happen, but when. Um, And the fight is continuously between um, continuing to see the eyes of Jesus and that and just giving yourself to something that's really hard and uncomfortable. He's going to be there. It's not if he's present or not. It's if we have an ability to recognize that. Um, yeah, there, there's no real replacement for that. And when we talk about my life after that moment, it is ebbs and flows for sure. But it always ends up landing on, I am unable to do this on my own. I've tried that path many, many times, still trying that path over and over and realizing that I cannot do this without a good father, without without that sacrifice of Jesus and put me in a position of being like awestruck so much that I would be obedient out of the love that was given me. Last question. What do you hope 
for, what do you hope for us to see? That we would not be an afraid people. It is very easy for me to see a moment and do one of two things. See it and say, I'm going to dig in and have success and be like, man, the Lord is victorious. The Lord is victorious in here, and sometimes I'll struggle with, I was victorious here. But the other one being, too hard. I just, I'm really afraid to lean in there. And I got to see people who were afraid to lean in there do it. And, man, the Lord was glorious in that, mm-hmm. not the people. And when I think about what seeing those opportunities and missing it looks like, there can be a lot of guilt and shame in that of saying, I missed this moment. I'm so embarrassed. Um, we're not called into that. We're called into just love and care for each other. And when we fail, all the more reason to look to the cross. We're not doing any of these things for a glorification. We're certainly not doing it so that we get some, some huge ribbon. Um, a ribbon. Sure. A little weird. Button, ribbon, metal, whatever. Yeah. Metal for sure, ribbon, no way. Um, and doing any of those things to just say, like, I'm going to lean in to the hard, and I'm going to trust him. And when I fail, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to look to him again and say, man, you are the only thing that can get me through this. Would you help me in these hard moments? I know you're here. I know you're present. Please help me as I walk through, fumble, trip. You're going to pick me up. And when we see a people that is mostly lost, as hard as that is, we are surrounded by lost people. We have to continue to say, you're it. What are we fighting for if not for this? Yeah. Well, I'm grateful that um, the Lord used you and saved you and brought you into the family, brother. Our lives are not the same uh, as a result of your life not being the same. So love you, man. Thanks for coming up and sharing. Thanks, bro. Head back down. Tim, thanks, bro. I want to ask you, who's your Tim? Who's God put in your life? Because it would be easy for me to bring Nicole up here and tell a little bit of a story, but I wanted you to see the result of someone else's faithfulness. Um, not their marriage. That, that's, that's fine, and that's kind of a, a, a byproduct. I think instead it's um, you've got now um, a man that's been made new. You've got now two children. Who knows how many more the Lord will bless them with, but two children who are being raised up into a home that wants to follow, seek Jesus. If you don't know, that's one of the most um, effective ways to make disciples is to make disciples. And so, <laughs> right? And so, like, you bring them up into your home, and, and that's an, it's an, like, that is the way that two people are going to hear the gospel again and again and again and again over their lives. That the Lord would use these moments to draw him to him, to draw Tim to himself. Um, and I just want you to see this, right? One simple phrase, like, you need Jesus. You hear someone's life, you hear what they're broken in, you just need Jesus. Maybe you should come and be a part of this family that I'm a part of. And I just wonder what simple phrase you need to carry with you this week. To your workplace, to Shogun, to Walgreens, to the softball field. What simple phrase is there for whomever you might meet? You don't know. You don't know who's going to be at the other, on the other end of that table. You have no idea what the Lord's preparing for you this week. So there was one more summary statement in the book of Acts that I didn't read. I'm going to read for you now as we, as we close. 
And it's Acts 28. Put it up on the screen for me, brother. I didn't give this to you. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. There's one last summary statement. And it says this. Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. If you know the story of Paul, he's in jail. He's going to suffer. He will end up dying for his faith. And the kingdom of God is being proclaimed without hindrance. What does it take for you to believe that you are God's plan A for your neighborhood, for your network, and for the nations? What will it take for the gospel to go out from your life without hindrance and with boldness? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving uh, the children in the next room the ability to scream and enjoy what has been a long time in here. Thank you, Lord, for the attentiveness to the gospel and to the preaching of the gospel in this room and as well as all the others. Lord, we want to worship you, and so we're going to do so. We're going to sing one last song together, and we're going to sing it, Lord. I pray we sing it like a bunch of missionaries that have no other hope of making disciples without the power of your spirit living and reigning in our hearts, not just making us new, but perhaps making someone else new through our proclamation of the gospel, that the gospel again and again, that the disciples again and again, that the word of God again and again would increase and multiply in Fort Bend County, in Richmond, in Sugar Land, in Rosenberg, in Katy, in Full and wherever else, Lord, you are trying to make this world into something that looks more like the Garden of Eden where you had perfect relationship with man and woman before that enemy came in, before that serpent came in and started whispering lies to us that there was something else better than you. Nothing better than you. And so I pray, Lord, that we would live as people that are fully assured in the grace of God because we're not going to do this perfectly as Tim so eloquently uh, put it. We're going to fumble. We're going to argue about childcare when there's somebody that's not a believer in the room. We're going to argue about politics when there's not a believe when there's a believer or not a believer in the room, non-believer here. We're going to argue about about anything else, coronavirus and whatever else that's before us. We're going to argue about that instead of focusing on King Jesus left heaven, came to earth to die for sinners that couldn't get along. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, let us be okay with being sinners so that we can be okay with you being Messiah. Help us remember our mission, Lord, as we go out this week. But before we get there, we want to worship, we want to respond. We want to sing, Lord, like this matters, like you're real. So help us do that, Lord, for the next few minutes. Our kids will wait. In Jesus' name, amen.